Welcome back to another episode of Mainstays. This is Jensen Dean Jackson, and I'll be bringing you my top 10 Marvel list. But unlike some people, I do have to be up at 5 in the morning for work, so I'm going to break it down, and I'll, I'll count off 10 through 6 tonight, and I'll do 5 to 1 tomorrow. And starting out the list at number 10 is Iron Man, the OG MCU movie, the one responsible for for it all, the granddaddy of the granddaddies. The movie, if nothing more important to remember, is responsible for Robert Downey Jr.'s resurgence into Hollywood and mainstream after terrible battles with alcoholism and cocaine. Iron Man is a special one. I remember Iron Man because it was it was the beginning and it was also i think it released a month maybe half a month after the dark knight and iron man is also also very special because it's one of the few mcu movies i've seen more than once you know most of them you see them and do your good and you move on to the next one with iron man it was out in theaters for a while and i think i was able to enjoy it in theaters about four times before enjoying it on dvd a billion more times I really like Iron Man, and I place it as, as number 10 because of the characters. I like how they were able to bring the character Tony Stark into a modern age, uh, imbue him with immense depth, and Robert Downey Jr. is ever the charming man. So, yeah, number 10 is Iron Man. Number 9 is Avengers. Now... If you guys love Marvel movies, you'll remember because that was the one where it was promised from the from the very end of Iron Man that one day we would get the Avengers, and we did. And man, a lot of people, myself included, were just thinking, shit, dude, what if this does not work? What if it sucks? And it didn't. It more than ex- exceeded my expectations. Uh, the original Avengers, to me, is so good that after watching Age of Ultron, I went on my Facebook and posted that the second trailer for Avengers was better than the entirety of Age of Ultron, and I hold to that statement years later. Avengers was responsible for, and again, just like Iron Man, going head-to-head with Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. This time it was Dark Knight Rises, the end of the trilogy, and they both did so damn well, in my opinion, being a humble comic book nerd. Uh, the Avengers is its just such a damn good movie. And if you don't have it, if you don't have the Avengers in your top 10 list of MCU movies, then you are just fucking up immensely, you know? And I do apologize if these... Uh, these top 10 seem a little, you know, loosey-goosey. I'm still trying to figure out my way with this podcasting thing. So it's just my own kind of thing of doing things. Uh, I guess i throw in something for each movie. I guess my favorite part of the Avengers is it's got to be that Hulk, the Hulk out scene in the helicarrier when they're all pushing each other's buttons and Loki's playing with everybody and, and mind-fucking everybody and... Hulk, you see him for the first time since the Incredible Hulk, and it is mag-fucking-nificent. Okay. Number eight is the movie that I like to say in the MCU is the littlest movie with the biggest heart, and I am, of course, talking about Ant-Man. Ant-Man is now... My only issue with with Ant-Man and the whole MCU is that, to me, Hank Pym is is Ant-Man. That's what I grew up reading. That's that's my Ant-Man. So I, I stopped reading so much when Scott Lang came around, so I had no idea. And, you know, it took me a couple views to really be like, okay, this is Ant-Man. But, you know, Paul Rudd does a damn good job with Ant-Man. It's got so much heart for a movie about such a tiny little person. Everybody hits their mark when it comes to the first Ant-Man. Michael Pena, Pena, however you say his name. Sorry if I messed your name up. He 
dude, he steals the movie. His story about the wine tasting and hanging out with his friend Iglesia and all that. So funny. So funny. And I got to give my hat. My I got to tip my hat. If I was wearing one, I tip my hat to Corey Stoll as Darren Cross. While uh, at this point, I was sick to death of the formula that if you're going to blame anybody, you blame Iron Man for having a villain that is a mirror image of the hero. To me, there's nothing more pathetically bland than the villain holding up a mirror. Oh, this is this is you, but only if you held different values. Uh, it doesn't seem very original. just kind of seems lazy and uninspired to me, but I don't write those movies. But I loved Corey Stoll in the role, you know? And at the same time that movie had come out, I'm actually watching The Strain, and in the first couple seasons of The Strain, Corey Stoll has has a hairpiece, because I guess he's bald or something like that, but he's rocking a hairpiece. So I had no idea that two, two versions of the same person were the same person until later on in seasons of The Strain, he cuts his hair, and I'm like, oh shit, that's the dude, that's the fucking guy from, that's Yellow Jacket from Ant-Man. I totally took me by surprise. I also like the the cute little relationships that Scott Lang has with the ants. And I really like that they make it seem so realistic that parents who have children split up can still be in happy relationships. It's just, it's a movie that, you know, if you're going and you're looking at Ant-Man and you're saying, you know, basically fuck Ant-Man and Ant-Man is weak. Uh, you have no heart, my friend. You are a pretty cold person because that movie is just so warm and and loving. It's like a welcoming embrace. I, I really do dig Ant-Man. I wasn't expecting to like it at all, so I was really taken aback when I did. All right. Number seven, another original. We're, we're taking it back to World War II with Captain America, the first Avenger. And... You know, I'll say this. When they cast Chris Evans, I was one of the people that was saying, you can't cast a human torch. My mindset, and that's because I read the Ultimate Comics line more than I read the traditional 616 Comics line uh, for Marvel Comics. So when I saw they were casting Captain America, I kept just saying Matt Damon. Because in my mindset, and this is again reading the Ultimate Comic line version, uh, Captain America is a hard-nosed asshole. You know, you look at Matt Damon and you watch The Green Zone or whatever and the Bourne movies and do might be kind of short, but I totally still see him playing Captain America, especially if you're playing that hard-nosed, no-nonsense, take-no-bullshit version. It, to me, it just works out. Uh, I like Captain America because, like Iron Man, well, not being like Iron Man, because there's no way you can, you know, you don't want to go from World War II to modern day for Captain America to work out. His story is rooted in those times, uh, you know, the values and characteristics he has, that's, that's Captain America, and they, they bring that to full realization on screen. Director Joe Johnson uh, did a fantastic job, but my favorite fucking thing about Captain America, the first Avenger, is Hugo motherfucking weaving as the Red Skull. Perfect casting ever. It's almost heartbreaking that he didn't want to do it, but I can, to a degree, understand not wanting to be buried in prosthetics for hours out of the day. But Hugo motherfucking weaving, Agent Smith, Eldron, dude is a fucking acting legend. And he was so fucking perfect as the Red Skull that, you know what, it, I almost pissed my pants when I heard the news that he was cast as Johann Schmidt. Uh, one thing that I had always held on to from the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, was the fact that I knew that Johann Schmidt wasn't dead. The dude grabbed the cosmic cube and got ported out of nowhere. Yeah, it took, you know, all the way till Infinity War, but I knew that red fucker wasn't dead. And that's just, you know, there, I mean, it's one of the less liked Marvel movies, but without that, people wouldn't give a shit about Chris Evans' Captain America like you just, you needed that movie. 
and I remember watching it and be like, this might be a bit of a trudge through, but I have it at my number seven because, sorry, just one second, I have it at my number seven because it's, you know, you needed that movie. If you didn't have Captain America, you couldn't get onto the monumentously better Captain America 2 or the barely better Captain America 3. You just wouldn't be able to have those without having Pops, which is Captain America, the first Avenger. You know? And I, my favorite scene of that movie, of Captain America, the first Avenger, which is probably just an odd one, but it's when him and Bucky are blowing the shit out of the Hydra base and they run afoul of Johann Schmidt and his, uh, uh, fuck, I can't remember the dude's, Toby Jones character or whatever. And he punches Cap or Cap punches Johan and the dude totally just fucking rips his face off. It's a fucking Red Skull. I just like, I've, I've read lots of comics. I, I know my shit when it comes to comics and, like, moments like that are just like, fuck, dude, like, fuck talking to girls because they don't understand comic books and being a nerd. Like, this is fulfilling. This right now is better than than sex to me. This, this you know, acknowledgement of all the hours I put in reading and having all this almost seemingly useless knowledge in my head, this validates almost half of my entire being, and I'm loving it. All right, coming in at number two, or I'm sorry, <laughs> coming in at number six is Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Now, when I talk about this one, you got to understand, like I, my, my pop culture, my knowledge, comics, all that, there's a lot of things in this movie that call on a lot of other things throughout pop culture and history. First of it is the, uh, the subgenre of spy you know, spy thrillers, political thrillers. This movie's heavy as fuck and political thrilling. And, I mean, why not? It's Captain America. There's going to be any other movie. You wouldn't expect Iron Man or Thor to be political thrillers, right? That just wouldn't seem, that would seem off. But for Captain America, it's, fuck, dude. I mean, that is one of the best sequels in the MCU. And right, I mean, that movie hits the fucking ground running. And I'll tell you right, right off the fucking bat, I mean, there's so many scenes in the movie that I can't go like the other, the other movies on my list and just give you one. Cause this is like, you know, when you have children, you're not supposed to give a favorite, but you obviously have a favorite from time to time. You slip the fuck up and you say that that child's your favorite in front of your other children. But right off the fucking ground, this movie hits the fucking ground running. And my favorite scene is that obviously the first scene in the movie, what the movie opens up on with Cap uh, trying to save the hostages on a shield boat. And the reason the movie is my favorite is not only because it shows just how badass he is with that shield and how much ass he kicks. It's the fact that they were able to take Botrock, the Leaper, a very silly fucking character in the comic books and turn him into a straight up bad ass gsp did a good fucking job bringing that character they they were even able to bring the color scheme of the characters comic book origins to the big screen and translate in a way that just didn't make it seem like that silly leaping french dude with the mustache totally deserves to get punched in the face for wearing that costume you know Another favorite scene of mine, which also brings in a genre kind of thriller slash horror that reminds me of the relentlessness of the relentless uh, feeling of watching Terminator 2 is the scene where the Winter Soldier is trying to kill Nick Fury and just everything from the score to the sound editing to just dude being a fucking badass and just coming at you nonstop. Fuck, dude, like that shit had me on the edge of my seat. My third favorite scene in the movie is again when the Winter Soldier, you know, you got you got Cap, you got Sam Wilson, you got Natasha Romanoff, and they're trying to make their way. I can't really remember off the top of my head, but they're trying to make their way 
to somewhere, oh, they've got Jasper Sitwell. And Jasper, traitorous Hydra fuck, is talking shit about how you can't do this and you can't do that and yada yada yada. The door just fucking flings off and he fucking flies the fuck out. Fucking score kicks in. Dude smashes his hand through the window, rips the steering wheel out of the column, and fuck, dude, like that, that it was just so fucking badass. And everything from Cap taking all three of them and booking out the fucking door and sliding on the ground to Natasha Romanoff jumping off that bridge, little grapple action, swinging down, then hauling ass down the fucking road. Everything about that scene, uh, inquires or you know entails sorry entails that you pay the fuck attention and if you don't watch that scene if you watch a scene your heart's not beating on your fucking chest you're probably dead on the inside or something I hate to tell you that not a doctor but if you don't watch that scene in Captain America the Winter Soldier and feel like a sense of dread and a holy fuck how are they gonna get out of this then man you need to check your motherfucking pulse because you might not actually be living all the way And we are at the end of my 10 through 6 list, and I thought that it would take a lot longer to get through it, so I'm just going to end up plowing through the rest of this list. If you'd like to break it up and stop here, you're more than welcome to, but I'm going to continue on to number 6, or I'm sorry, I'm going to continue on to number 5, and my number 5... MCU movie is Guardians of the Galaxy. Now this is uh this is one that a lot of people, I mean a lot of people love and you know, to get off topic for a minute, while the comments made by the director are sickening and disgusting and even with their jokes, jokes don't involve sex with little boys or raping women. Those aren't those aren't funny. Uh and no universe is that funny. So there is no there is no real, you know, standing up for James Gunn. His actions are disgusting, but that's besides the point. That's just, you know, I didn't know if any of you heard the news, but James Gunn had been fired by Marvel and Disney over those disgusting air quote jokes he made about sex with little boys and raping women. But anyways, Back to my number five. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I got to tip my hat to James Gunn for taking such an out there property. Truly out there. If you thought that Iron Man was a big character and, you know, didn't think he could ever make it, you know, look at Guardians of the Galaxy. You got a guy that was kidnapped from Earth, a talking raccoon, a fucking living tree, a daughter of a mad titan. And a guy whose family was killed by a mad titan. Shouldn't work when you read about it on the page. You think, well, this is kind of fucking uh, out there for even a comic book. And then, fuck, James Gunn came along and made the shit work. Made it work like no other. Right from the beginning. And that's one of the things I fucking love about this movie is the soundtrack. And how everything right from the beginning, that little song, I'm not loved by 10 cc's, fucking strumming on your heart chords, man. That scene is just, I've never, a comic book movie, never had a movie, that's, that's, for me, Guardians of the Galaxy is cracked in the top five because it starts you off real low. You're fucking low as shit emotionally. When you, you come into this movie cold open and you're low as fuck. And it gets lower. And then credits are rolling and it's lifting you the fuck back up. It's making, it's getting you high, high, high. And then again, you're fucking low. That movie plays their fucking emotions so goddamn hard. It's like a high school romance, dude. One minute you're hot, one minute you're cold, one minute you're on, one minute you're off. But, but eventually by the end of the movie, you feel a little low, but you're, you're about medium. But everybody hits their fucking notes. And my top biller, my top star for Guardians of the Galaxy is a little-known wrestler from WWE named Dave Batista, who steals every line in that movie. Every, every time he's on screen, he is 
exceeding expectations and for me it's such a happy thing because people constantly trash wrestling and wrestling this wrestling's that oh you like drax destroyer yeah he's like a six or seven time world heavyweight champion ex wwe wrestler fight me but you know a funny little known fact that most people probably don't know and it's just because, like, I'm in it so hard with comic books, and, you know, I'm on IGN and Collider. I spend a good portion of my time when I'm not working reading about pop culture things, comic books, books, movies, TV things, things uh, getting ready to be made. So back in the day when they were casting Guardians of the Galaxy or casting Drax the Destroyer, it was down between Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista. And Dave Batista won the role because Jason Moa was being a prickhead about it and demanded more money. And so Marvel just decided in their infinite wisdom to say, fuck this guy, and we're going with Dave Batista. And, you know, honest, quite honestly, I can't say that I'm mad at it. Dave Batista was the perfect choice for the role. And Jason Momoa has gone on to do Aquaman, which I just, after just watching the trailer, I've got to say, it looks pretty damn cool. Now, i tell you for, uh, in terms of villains, this one doesn't break the Marvel mold of having boring-ass villains. And you know, in the comic books, Ronan the Accuser is so much more than what Lee Pace is allowed to do with in the, in the movie version where he's just kind of a guy who is a lunatic and is like got a real big boner for fucking mass genocide. And in the comic books, he's so much more. He's actually quite, quite literally a fucking badass to go and read up on Ronan the Accuser. And you feel let down as fuck by, by the movies. I don't feel like Marvel did right by Lee Pace or by Ronan the Accuser with such a lackluster performance. And, you know, he's really just there to talk shit to Thanos grab an infinity stone for a minute and then fucking die like there is nothing more to ronin the accuser in the mcu version than that you know nebula while not being a legit bad guy is a better antagonist for the group and she's more so gamora's antagonist but she serves to be a better antagonist for the group than the guy she's serving under who is serving under her dad thanos now, my favorite scene in Guardians of the Galaxy is the scene right when they make it to the Dark Aster, and they're talking about how I can't see, so Groot lights up the room, and Drax just starts in his infinite stupidity, you know, trying to say nice things in a mean way, starts talking about how he's glad that he encountered them and has made new friends, and just, uh, you know, this dumb tree, and you, Peter Quill the idiot and this green whore over here when he says that to Gamora she's just like enough and the look on Drax's face is one of utter dismay and un ununderstanding because in his mind what he is saying is positive while what the words that are coming out of his mouth are very negative it's one of those scenes where you slow down for a moment and just the the, the true beauty and technical wizardry of the scene the cinematography, the music, the score, and there's just a very warm feeling for me. And I've seen this movie billions of times, and I that feeling never goes away. To me, that entire that 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 one scene sums up the entire movie. The entire movie is summed up in one scene. It's warmth, it's cold, and it's more warmth. And that's why I love Guardians of the Galaxy is because it's just it's that oddball that you can't help but to love all right and number four is thor ragnarok i i'm not going to lie i liked aspects of both thor and thor the dark world but i fucking hated them if you're you know hey let's watch movies you know let's do a whole MCU rewatch I would beg you and try to bribe you to skip Thor 1 and 2 because they're so fucking boring man they're just so boring it's like they didn't know what the fuck they were doing and to me it shouldn't be that hard 
But Thor Ragnarok is one of those movies where you're just like, shit, dude. Like at the end of, you're at the end of the uh, the line with this one and you just decide now to knock it out of the park. Now, I, I am not a fan of the fact that they split two movies into one. Or they split. They made. They made. Uh, they split two storylines and converged them into one movie. Store Ragnarok is actually two storylines. It's the Planet Hulk comic, which is like the most famous comic from the last I don't know decade or so in terms of Hulk comics. And then Ragnarok, which I'm going to be completely honest, I'm pretty sure it's a '90s comic storyline. And as I don't read Thor regularly, regularly. I couldn't really tell you very much about Ragnarok. Although what it ends up being isn't so much of what it is. And also the character of Hela. Spoiler alert for anybody who doesn't read the comic books. In the comic books, she is not related to Thor. At least last time that I checked. That's just a nice little MCU twist that they added for the movies. To, I guess, give more weight to the character. Which... It doesn't, that's the only villain, or that's the only part of the movie that doesn't really cl- click, is that here's this this uh, this bad guy, bad guy, bad girl, baddie, who is not only Thor's brother, or I'm sorry, Thor's sister, but she's the goddess of death. And you know, they have a tussle in the beginning, she rips his eye out, breaks his hammer, and sends him to Sakaar. And for half the movie, she spends blabbing about how it's good to be back and yada, 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 and massacring Asgardians while Thor is off, you know, being a fighting slave, kind of like the Roman days, duking it out with Hulk, having conversations with Hulk, trying to reconnect with Loki. And then at the end, they come back together and it's just like, why the fuck did you even bring Kate Blanchett? into the movie if you were going to better utilize her to me it's utter bullshit but again that's why i don't get paid the big bucks up at marvel by bob Iger at dc or disney to make these movies but i will say that my favorite scene in that movie is when thor fights hulk and thor is taking hulk to task he's whipping his ass and then the Hulk, you know, does what Hulk does best, which if you ever read a comic books, especially the old comic books, you will know that one of the features of the Incredible Hulk is that the matter he gets, the bigger and stronger he gets. There isn't really a, a limit for Hulk in terms of strength. He gets it's fighting a losing battle, really. And so in the in the midst of that fight, Hulk picks up Thor, and there's a nice little callback to the end of Avengers, where he fucking wham-bams Thor from side to side, and Loki, while attending the fight with the Grandmaster, jumps up out of his seat and screams, that's how it feels, and fucking Jeff Goldblum is giving him a, hey man, what the fuck look, and he's like, I'm just so excited about the fight. I love Thor Ragnarok, I love the colors, I love Valkyrie, I love... That is such a fucking departure from how boring the other Thor movies were. And it truly makes me want there to be a Thor 4. And that is, those are the reasons why I've put Ragnarok at my number 4 spot. My number 3 spot is going to be Avengers Infinity War. Or as I have it written down, Infinity War, because it's more like Thanos Infinity War. This is one that ironically, just like leaning coming right after my number four spot it comes right after the events of thor ragnarok thor ragnarok is the most important movie in terms of leading into infinity war as it leads right the fuck into infinity war and infinity war is they've got so much to do that they don't even have time for the marvel music fanfare at the beginning you get that marvel 10 years blah 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 shit beautiful banner at the beginning and you jump right the fuck in to the life raft i don't remember the, the official name of it but you know basically the end of thor ragnarok not basically that's exactly what it is the end of thor ragnarok with uh the lifeboat with all the asgardians being decimated and you get 
to me one of my favorite bad guys from the MCU or bad guy lackeys. And I think, I believe, I don't really have time to pull up Google right now. I believe his name is Ebony Ma. Uh, Tony Stark refers to him as Squidward. But I love that fucking character because not only is he scary shit physically, but he's scary as shit mentally because he comes out of nowhere like the fucking, like a prophet, you know, spreading the word of death of Thanos. And, you know, he's just, it's, it's a scary thing because it's one of those people that fully believes what he's saying. And he's got nothing but bad news for you. Dude is just scary looking. His powers are scary. And it's scary in the way that what he's talking about, he truly believes. Uh... And right off the bat, yeah, you get Ebony Moss spreading the good word of Thanos. And you get the rest, or you get some of the rest of the Black Order, because I think at the same time as that's happening, uh, the rest of the Black Order is getting ready to make a landing on Earth to try to snatch the Time Stone from Doctor Strange. Now, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, like a lot of other people, is Hulk coming out of nowhere, and, you know, after Loki's like, we got a fucking Hulk, bro. And, uh... He bum-rushes Thanos and starts whooping his ass, and then Thanos punches him, and what I saw both times I saw the movie, I saw Thanos punch him in the throat, and Hulk kind of has that, you know, that look that your older brother gets when, well, the look that an older brother gets when a younger brother hits him a lot harder than he thinks he was going to hit him, and he's like, ah, oh, fuck, dude, that really hurt. And then Thanos just proceeds to whip the shit out of the Hulk in another throwback to the original Avengers movie with Hulk thrashing Loki. And fuck, dude, after that, you know, he goes back to Banner and Heimdall sends him back to Earth. And that is that is scene number one. That's my favorite. Another scene in the Infinity War is when Wanda and Vision are sharing intimacy, and then they're attacked by Approxima Midnight and her husband in the comic books. I can't remember his name, Corbus Glaive or some shit like that. And there are just beautiful scenes of them fighting. One of the most beautiful scenes is when Vision is being attacked and Wanda and Approxima, with Wanda's powers on fucking close to 10, duking it out and vision's fucking mindstone beam hits that fucking that that truck full of gas or whatever and lights up the night sky and they're duking it out beautiful scene beautifully shot beautiful cinematography and i am just so in uh so in love with approxima midnight i think uh, even for being some weird alien looking chick who's like eight feet tall she's still fucking hot dude uh infinity war is the culmination of everything that's come before it. And I remember back in Avengers, you saw Thanos, which granted he looks vastly different, played by different people from time to time, if my facts are right, if I believe myself to be true. It is everything that was promised, and they more than fucking delivered. And if, if you thought, just like me, how the fuck are they going to pull off what, five or six Avengers, you know, five or six characters, then I was, you know, I was ready for it. I was down for Infinity War, but I was really panicky. Like, you know, the closest the movie got, you know, I'm thinking to myself, shit, what if it's not good? What if this movie ends up being really, really bad? It didn't, you know, it ended up being balls to the wall, bomb as fuck. And on that note, my number three favorite scene in that movie is when the children of Thanos or the Black Order in the comic books come to Earth to steal Doctor Strange's time stone. Everything from Tony Stark talking shit and suiting up to Bruce Banner not being able to green up to Peter Parker showing up. It's just that was a perfect Spider-Man moment. Of, of Anthony Stark almost getting punched into oblivion and then the fist being stopped and then Spidey popping his little head out from around the fist to be like, hey, you know, shit talking, blah, blah, blah. Uh, everything about that scene was amazing and was so on point that, you know, to reiterate what I said before, it's, it's 
the MCU makes me feel so good as a person that's read, read comics for so long. Because for me, comic books have a very personal place in my life. Uh, there's something very personal between me and comic books. So when I see stuff like this, that's just like it's something I never thought I would see. It makes me very, very happy. Now, scene number four, that is my favorite that I'm probably going to catch a lot of hatred for from other people that are lovers of Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. But scene number four is when Iron Man and his hubris is fighting Thanos, and he's doing a pretty damn good job, and then he pulls out that, that sword, and Thanos breaks it and stabs him. I actually almost stood up in the theaters, and I clapped so loud and screamed yes. Because I had been waiting, something had to change. Ten years on, they were too safe with the Marvel movies. And what better person to kill than the guy who verifiably started it all? And this is, to me, it's it's more of an understanding if you read the comic books and you understand just how much of a jerk Tony Stark really is. And, you know, I, I think that is the person, if they're going to kill anybody, Tony Stark has to die. And so for me, that was another scene where I'm just like, shit, dude, you know, yes, like, yes, a thousand times, yes, and I think scene number four, my favorite scene, probably the favorite scene in the movie, is all the characters dying, they had promised it, now we know, you know, only, only stupid idiots who aren't current with comic books or don't know the plan for the next phase, know that most of the characters are coming back, but just seeing lots of those people die and fuck yes he you know you should have gone for the head and then the snap that was perfect i i took my baby mom to see it and she was heartbroken which proves how powerful of a scene that is and then to end on that to end on the bad guy winning you know like that doesn't happen very often it's a very powerful moment and it proved that 10 years of a journey doesn't mean that you end with everybody getting their happy ending. Sometimes it means you, it ends that journey ends with nothing more than dust in the wind. Pun fully intended, by the way. And all right, we're going to move it on to my number two, which is black Panther. Now, a lot of people were hyped as fuck for this movie. I was, I wasn't, I'm not going to lie, I was, I was excited, but I was, you know, it's, it's something more to do with my, with my, my race than anything, and not really having a lot of strong black superheroes, shit, not really having any, especially leading black superheroes to really point to and be like, that fucking guy right there. Then fucking Chadwick Boseman, who's like trying to get all the historical roles he can. Fucking Thurgood Marshall, Jackie Robinson, fucking, uh, I can't think of it, but he played, uh, uh, I think he was James Brown or something like that. But he's done a lot of historically, or I'm sorry, a lot of historic historical movies based on black men. No, I don't want to say historical, but... Shit, I can't think of the word. He's 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 a lot of roles with black figures that were historically important. Sorry, it's it's really late at night. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, that's why I'm trying to make sense. I'm not making sense and trying to make sense. For me, Black Panther is that movie that, while yes, I am very well aware, was made by a white man, and is putting money in the pockets of white men very aware of that that fact is not lost on me but listen black panther is a movie that while it sounds ridiculous it made it reminded me that there's nothing wrong with being black that i should be proud to be half black and that we are strong people we are amazing people we are not what the world thinks we are and for me, Black Panther, it just, I, I didn't cry, but it made me have those emotions of, shit, man, Wakanda for fucking ever is right, dude. And it has one of the best villains, which is kind of tough because 
Eric Killmonger isn't really a villain when he talks about his, you know, the way he feels. It's not the typical villain thing of, you know, I just want to watch the world burn and I was wronged. It was, I was wronged, but not only was I wronged, my people, our people were wronged. I want to take this technology and this wealth and I want to disperse it amongst our people. The only thing that makes him bad per se is the fact that he wants to in turn do what was done to us, which is enslave them. If they're not down for it, murder them, murder their supporters, which you know, blood for blood doesn't make anything better. If anything, it makes it worse. But I, I love the character of Eric Killmonger. You be, you know, if you don't look at that character and you can't ident- identify with some of what he's saying, then, you know, maybe you're a perfect person, I guess. Even though I know personally there's no such thing as a perfect person, I suppose you would be a perfect person if you can't identify with any of the feelings that Eric Killmonger has. One of my biggest issues with this movie, though, is the end battle between Black Panther and Killmonger of too much fucking CGI. It's a CGI mess, and then it does it does, however, break the the uh, the curse of Marvel movies ending their third act, having to do with something plummeting back down to a patch of earth, and while you know having a battle on a hilltop seems kind of anticlimactic. That that underground fight between Killmonger and Black Panther and the level of CGI, so much CGI, it was just like yuck. Like, uh, if I want to watch a cartoon, I watch a fucking cartoon. Like, I want to watch two black dudes beat the shit out of each other in full on regalia. That's what I want to see. Not 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 two Gumby looking motherfuckers. But my favorite scene of Black Panther has to be the line that Eric Killmonger says where T'Challa's like, we can save you. And I, I won't remember the line exactly word for word, but it's basically, you know, Killmonger's like, no, just bury me at sea with my ancestors because they had the common decency to know that it's better to die a free man than to live a slave or something like that and to me that was just like that was so powerful that was like shit dude that hit me right in the gut knowing history hit me hard in the gut like shit dude that was heavy and like his I I love the movie because of how it takes a mirror and holds it up to not only the way black people have been done as a race but holds a mirror up to white people and not forces them, but says, hey, you have the option to look at how things have been. And his lines in the museum about, you know, saying he was going to take the vibranium off the lady's hands and the lady saying it's not for sale. And him and his whole thing of how do you think it was gotten? Your ancestors came and stole from my ancestors. They didn't try to buy it, you know. Just powerful, powerful words. My hat's off to Ryan Coogler and the whole entire cast of that movie for how powerful it is and how, how powerful it made me feel. I love I love Black Panther. That's why it's at number two. Some people w- would be surprised, like, you didn't put Infinity War or Black Panther as your number one. And I tell those people, fuck no, because my fucking number one is Spider-Man Home Motherfucking Coming. That movie right there, if for nothing else than the fact that Spider-Man was finally fully realized as a character. And, you know, are you surprised that with, what, five movies over at Sony Pictures, they could never crack the case? And it only took one fucking movie at Marvel for them to do it. And not only did they do it, but they, you know, five movie villains couldn't be one Adrian fucking Tombs and in the form of Michael fucking Keaton and the fact that not only did they they kind of went with the ultimate version of of the vulture but then they spun it off and they you know just like they've done with Hela and they've done with some other Marvel characters 
that made Adrian Toomes, the father of Liz Allen, one of Spidey's first crushes. Spider-Man Homecoming, to me, is damn near flawless. It's almost a perfect movie. The only thing that I could have done with less of would have been less Robert Downey Jr. I, you know, I love Robert Downey Jr. I love Tony Stark. But to me, he's not the be-all, end-all. And it's, you know, it's almost like he's a crutch. And I, I just... Besides too much Tony Stark, I thought the movie was perfect. I thought their incorporations of Matt Gargan, two versions of the Shocker. I mean, you've got you got some parts. You got the Thinker in there. You got basically the, the skeleton makings of the fucking Sinister Six, dude. You've got classic Steve Ditko, which, by the way, R.I.P. to Steve Ditko. Without you, these characters wouldn't be wouldn't be possible to realize on the full screen or the the the, the big screen. So my hats off to Steve Ditko. Truly lost a special soul the day that he left this earth. But you've got the classic Steve Ditko webbing underneath the arms, the spider symbol, the eyes. Like, dude, you've got classic Steve Ditko Spider-Man on the big screen. He's cracking jokes. He's a fucking science wizard. He's not a popular kid. If you go back and you read classic Steve Ditko Spider-Man, Peter Parker was a 16-year-old who was a science, science wizard. He wasn't very lucky with the ladies, but he knew his shit when he came to science. And the duality of Spider-Man being in high school and doing that, it was it was fun to fun to read because he didn't have a superhero like that. And you he rarely do. And so for for me to see them fully realize Spidey in high school, not only dealing with the troubles of being a superhero, but the troubles of having to pass a fucking midterm. To me, that's what Spider-Man is all about. I'm not saying that Spider-Man can't grow up. I do hold a a affinity for the for the Tobey Maguire ones, especially Spider-Man Two. But Steve Ditko, Spidey, Spidey in high school, Spidey worrying about fighting bad guys and taking Liz Allen to the dance and then breaking her heart, her, her heart by not being able to go to the dance. That's classic Spidey right there, man. That's why that Spider-Man Homecoming is my number one, because it hits all the notes. And if you read the comic books like I have, it makes it that much better. And honestly, I'll say that my favorite scene in Spider-Man Homecoming has to be when he's chasing the bad guys and he ends up in the suburbs. And you find out that Spider-Man really doesn't work without being in the city of New York. Because there's not really shit to attach his webs to. And for that, I love that because it's a zany yet comedic element of Spider-Man that you've never you've never really been able to explore in any of the other five movies. Because Spider-Man's just is just all all about New York. And you never really see, you know, seeing Spider-Man somewhat outside of his element and trying to acclimate and figure out, you know, really what it's all about in terms of where where he can go and where he can't go mentally and physically. And then another one of my favorite scenes is when, and this is pulled straight out of Steve Ditko, like I mean literally, swear to God, pulled out of Steve Ditko, old ass Spider-Man comic, where he's stuck underneath all that rubble, and then you see, which is another, another classic Steve Ditko element, you see him looking at his reflection, and it's half Peter Parker, half Spidey mask, and then... He's, you know, he's saying, I can't do it, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm scared. It's a, it's a kid screaming for help. And then he gathers his shit together, and he powerless himself out of a dire situation. I implore you guys as listeners to go back and read those comic books and say, holy shit, Jensen is right. That is classic Spider-Man moment. To me, that was so powerful because I had read that moment. In my youth, I had read that very moment. So to see that very moment on the big screen was like fucking wow. Like these people get it. Like these people are inside my head. They've incepted me for my Marvel memories. And they're fucking plucking them out. They're pulling them out of me, dude. Like that was, that was, 
that was a great scene. That was great. And, uh, and my hat off to Michael fucking Keaton, you know, Batman, Tim Burton's Batman. He is one of a few, uh, actors to, to go from Marvel to DC. And he, of course, universally known for, for Batman. And then to come aboard and play a villain and play Adrian Toomes and imbue the character with the sense of youth. And that dude, I mean, Adrian Toomes, that is one dude that I would not want to fuck around. Like when you hear men talk about they're doing it for their families, you're like, okay, that's, you know, that's admirable. I get that, you know, families, everything. And you got a guy like Adrian Toomes who will straight up murder your face off to provide for his family. Now, unlike other MCU villains where they're labeled in the in the category of villain, but they're not like Ghost from Ant-Man the Wasp 2, who is not a villain at all. It's the opposite of a villain. It's a misunderstood character like Sandman from San Raimi's Spider-Man 3. Where in the comic books, it's a straight-up villain, but in the movies, it's a character who is a victim of circumstance. Unlike those two characters, Adrian Toomes is a straight-up fucking villain. Make no bones about it. Just because he's stealing and murdering to provide for his baby girl, Liz Allen, and his beautiful wife. He's still a fucking murderer. The dude still kills people. And he is... There's there's only like three or four really good villains in the MCU, and one of them is on the Netflix show. And that would be Wilson Fisk, played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio, Michael Keaton, Michael B. Jordan... And I'm blanking on the fourth one, but I know there's really only good four, really only four good villains. Fuck, I'll, I'll toss uh, Jeff Bridges' Obadiah Stane in there as a good villain. While other people think he's two-dimensional, I really dug the fuck out of the dude playing a villain named Ironmonger. But yeah, Adrian Toomes, to me, is he's, he's right behind Wilson Fisk as top MCU villains. Just because he's so good and the reasoning for what he for what he has become that you know I I find you hard pressed as a human being to say that if your back was up against the wall and you had family you truly loved your family maybe you wouldn't go to the lengths that he's gone to but me being a father of a little girl and a soon to be uh, little boy I could understand to a limit the character of Adrian Toomes in Spider-Man Homecoming and so with that being said, I will leave you guys with that top 10 list. Please feel free to comment and let me know what your top 10 Marvel movies are. And if you agree with anything in my top 10, if you disagree, uh, that would be great. I, I'm more than welcome to feedback. And please let me know my format for my for my podcast is a little fast and loose. But I've never done podcasting. This is only my second episode. So I'm still trying to figure it out and get a structure so that it seems a bit more professional. But yes, I am going to go to bed now. It's 1.11 in the morning and I have to be up in a few hours for work. So again, this is Jensen, Jensen Jackson signing off. And this is episode two of Mainstays. I hope you guys enjoyed and thank you very much for taking the time out of your precious days to listen to my podcast. Thank you and goodbye.